The World According to G, episode four, I do believe. My name is Garrett. I've got a radio show on a country station, K95, in Richmond, Virginia. Now, I talk about a lot of different things here on the podcast, a lot of different interests, and some things that I think might help you. Coming up here in a bit, my guest is a dog trainer. He's a guide for upland bird hunting, and he and his wife manage a public hunting preserve here in Virginia. So that's coming up here in just a minute. Can I ask you a question? Who wants to put on a show? Let's do it. The show is gleeful and bright. Entertaining and educating. So let's turn it up. Okay. It's showtime. I've been doing a lot of fishing and a lot of camping, especially camping with the family. I end up going fishing more by myself. When I'm not working, I'll get on the kayak for a few hours and just wet a line. We've been doing some camping, and this year is a new experience for me. I've been doing a lot of RV camping, which I've never done before. And I'll tell you, the air conditioning on the RV is a magical thing when you live in Virginia. Now, two of my girls have very different interests, but they are interested in the outdoors, which I love. Uh, the youngest one loves fishing. So we made it a point this year to get out to the Chesapeake Bay because I wanted her to experience some bottom fishing like bluefish and also get to experience catching a cobia, which we experienced both those. And the older one wants to go hunting with me. She wants to experience upland bird hunting and deer hunting. So we took her out to get a couple hours worth of lessons on clay shooting and upland bird hunting. So they got to experience some pretty cool things here towards the end of summer. And as I started thinking about who I was going to have on the podcast, since one of my daughters wants to learn about upland bird hunting, I figured why not call my friend at Orapax Hunting Preserve? He can speak on everything from getting kids involved in hunting to upland bird hunting in general and dog training. So I drove out to Orapax Hunting Preserve. And sat with Neil for a couple hours. And here's our conversation. I met Neil a couple of years ago. It has been through our association with Green Top, which is an outdoor store here in uh, Virginia. Pretty much the biggest one in the state for independently owned specifically. Um, great group of people. And I made my way out here to Orpax and learning about upland bird hunting. I had done that growing up with dove that's basically the extent of my bird hunting as a kid and then I learned about pheasant and quail and chucker and all the different methods for upland bird hunting and the training that goes into it not just the shooting but also uh I don't even know how to explain everything so if you were to um you sound like you're, you got it well look let's start with um, getting my child trained, right? I wanted her to go out in the field with me. She wanted to go out into the field with me and I will bring her up here this fall. She's excited now. She's so excited about it. This is the way I'm going about it. But you being a guide and seeing this all the time, what would be, I mean, cause look, it seems like child children hunting and getting out into the woods is becoming fewer and fewer and fewer 
how do we keep that tradition alive? That's the question we wrestle with is how are we going to keep the next generation interested? How are we going to get them involved? How are we going to get them excited? Um, this has been for the last 20 years, a dying sport. Mm -hmm. And it's not because kids have just lost interest. This one is habitat, loss of habitat, loss of wild birds, wild birds in Virginia is that's tough. Mm -hmm. And people want to hunt wild birds. And that's, you know, that's the game. And um, I do too. Even as a owner of a preserve, I I love hunting out here and I guide out here. But, you know, in December, I go to Kansas and Nebraska this year and we go out for nine days and hunt pheasant and quail. And we come back and we do it on the preserve. But how do you get kids involved and how do you get them to like it? Gosh, I mean. It's one of the things I think is doing what you're doing is, mm-hmm. is, is, is just expose them and don't put the pressure on, you know, it's like, it's like, just be a good dad. It's like, it's almost like just the basics. Right. And so if you put, you put your kid out there and you give them an, you overgun them, give them something or undergun them, but they can't hit, get them a 410 and, and they're nine years old. They're never going to hit a bird anyway. Right. And then you yell at them for not hitting the bird. Okay. <laughs> and then you wonder why the kid wants to go fishing. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, that's why I yelled at my kid. For out shooting me. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, that's, as long as they outdo you. Right. Um, but I do see it both ways, and right. not not a lot the other way. But you do see where you know the pressure's there, and dads, you know, and there is probably pressure there in every situation right. they have at home. You know, whatever they're doing, if it's baseball or yeah. soccer or hunting. But the dads that come out there, and you know, the kids respectful. Mm-hmm. They're, whole, they're they've got their gun safety down. Um, they're not taking out. They're not taking any weird shots. Low shots, shots, you know, over someone's over, uh, you know, over um, someone downrange, right. you know, over a, over a dog that they shouldn't be, you know, uh, those kids were taught that by their parents. Right. I don't have to say much. Then there's the kids where you're, the, you can tell when you're doing the safety talk. I hope I can speak really bluntly. You can't. That's thing. what a podcast so, is so all about. I can, can say whatever I want. You can say whatever you want. So then you get the kid who you're doing the safety talk, right? Uh-huh. And they're looking right freaking through you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you can tell. Yep. There's nothing. They're like, I'm ready to go, dude. And I don't yep. care what you say. I'm shooting. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> I'm going to do what I'm yeah. going to do. And you can tell before you even let your dogs out of the crate what's going to happen. Right. And you keep your eye on that one. Do you see that frequently? No, okay. you don't. That's a good thing. You don't. You, most of the dads and moms that have come out here with their kids have told them, don't mess this up. Right. And they've given them, I mean, they've, they, they've, they've been clay shooting like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They're target shooting with, if it's not a shotgun, it's, it's a long gun, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. They've been turkey hunting. They know basic gun safety. Yeah. They know that they, you know, when they're back at the truck, they're already starting to unload on the way back. Right. They just know what to do right. because they were taught when they were eight, nine, 10, 11, watching dad and mom, watching big brother, watching uncle Joe, whatever it is. And then you get the ones that come out here and and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. (laughs) And, and you're going to listen to the guide and he's going to tell you what to do. And, and and the kid is just, he's got this gun in his hand, 12 gauge and three inch shells. And you've already had to push him down into the proper shot shell size. And, you know, and then dad's hacking on them. And yeah, it, it does happen. It's not that often. And you can, I can probably count the number on one hand every season, but you do get them. Right. And you get it with adults too. I was going to say. This is open to the public, man. I mean, anybody right. can walk off the street here, right. 
God, and if you're going to do it, please pick another guide. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm happy to guide anyone, but you know, you, you, you get, you get someone that comes in off street. You don't know who this person is. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they're going to do. Right. And that's, that's the business we run a public preserve. Mm-hmm. And that's different than everybody who's got a private preserve license. Anybody's got a hundred acres in Virginia for a hundred bucks. You get a private right. preserve license, and you can release birds on your on your on your property. Huh. Shoot them nine months out of the year. Wow. Or eight months, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> September through April. So, you know, this is different. We let anybody come, and you know, we don't have a you know now they have to have a hunting license, which means that they have to have gone through hunter safety. And these that's days. a lot of. Que- I mean, people question that. Okay, preserve. Do I need a license? Yep, at least versus. If, yep. And know. if they don't, they're going to have to have an apprentice license under the guide. Right. Um, for the most part, people that come here have hunted before. Right. There, there's not a lot of first timers, but you do get them, and some of them are great. Right. You know, you get the couple who you know one of the spouses for the birthday bought the other person a 10 bird quail hunt that's right. it and it's just the two of them and they got one shotgun between the both of them and they're sharing it <laughs> and awesome. sometimes that might be the funnest hunt of the month well let's talk about real quick because i i should have started out this way but i didn't so the history of aura packs yeah l- l- fill me in on that so real quick um my father-in-law bought the property back in the early 80s uh built their homestead here on the other highest point here we're sitting at the clubhouse right here right now which you can see palatan county just by the way is the best view it's the (laughs) best view if you're going to come out here and have a party this is where you want to do it we can talk we can talk about that later okay so um you know if you look out out that window right there you're looking right over across the james river into palatan county that's probably about a mile away and uh um they're in they're in the other on the other side of the property only uh, just by by flight of the bird probably about a quarter of a mile away and my father-in-law started this he has always had this dream of, of having a hunt preserve mm-hmm. and he grew up in new orleans and and hunting everything that flew and hunting everything else probably too but he he really wanted to do this and he basically built this up from scratch he's a brilliant man um he's uh, about 90 years old now he's slowing down a little bit and but you know he still likes to hear about what we're doing and right. we uh we show him our facebook page because he's not gonna log on to facebook that's for <laughs> sure and we show him all the pictures on there and he and he just smiles and he just mm-hmm. is so ecstatic that we were willing to you know see it through for him and uh he wants to maintain this as open spaces and this this is about 700 acres but it was originally almost a 7,000 acre land grant from the king queen of england to mary God, i'm gonna get this wrong my wife will kill me mary bowling jefferson's thomas Jefferson's sister okay so uh, they in fact they live on that where that homestead was so there is one remaining building from that era that's the when you come in that little yellow rental property on the right was the original slave quarters it was just the front just the front of that house wow and it was built onto a couple now it's a rental property Um, so they built a they that house was raised actually the 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 main house where where she lived was was raised back in the 80s there was nothing it was burnt really badly and, and it had to be gotten rid of and they they built their house up and then they they started the the preserve and they started putting hunts out of their back out of their back veranda not even out of the clubhouse and uh 
my mother-in-law, Nancy Dykers, would just, uh, she'd usually have coffee in the morning and something, you know, some, right. some cinnamon rolls or whatever it might have been. And then they come in at lunch. There might be a bowl of chili or might not, whatever it was that day. And uh, people that hunt here now remember that. Wow. You know, doing that back in the 80s and uh, early 90s. You know, they remember hunting out from their back, the back of their house. Wow. And that's where the hunts You've were You still got up. people that come out and hunt. They remember that from yep. back then. Yep. Wow. And of course, we got their kids right. that are hunting now with their kids. So it's, it's, it's already that many generations. So it's, it's really interesting. I love the history of here and then what licking hole Creek goes yep. through. Licking right? hole Creek comes right across from Pat. We're right across from Powhatan state park. Okay. So there's an aqueduct there, you know, originally surveyed by George Washington. It's one of the only couple left standing and it's in perfect shape right. and you can kayak right up under it and come right up into the property. There's just a lot of history here. What all can you do on the property? Yeah. So what we did basically, you know, following in his footsteps, so to speak, right. We started building it. We started doing other things. We started. We started adding offerings. Okay. Tower mallard release. Now instead. What of is a, tower? A tower, tower mallard, mallard release. release. You can now do go out on a duck hunt, and we will okay. release pen raised mallards from a a a, a, um, a tower that you can't see. You're in a blind right. on a four acre duck marsh back oh, in the wow. woods, and you're hunting. Um, you're hunting. Uh, pen raised mallards and they, you're calling them in and they're coming right in front. Never ceases right. to amaze me. I'm not a duck guy. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I'm, I'm an upland guy, but it never ceases to amaze me. These ducks come right in front of the blind right there and bam, bam, there they go. And then the retrievers go and get huh. them. Great for uh, young hunters, you know, okay. young kids that are, might not be getting on a lot of birds, young dogs. Right. They want a lot of retrieves. Okay. Um, maybe a dog that needs some tuning up, whatever it is. So that's, we added that. One of the first things we added. Um, we 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 always did do the pheasant shoots, you know, which are different than a regular upland yeah. hunt. So we, we continue to do that. Those are more private now than public. We still do some publics every now and then. We added bass fishing, as you know. Right. And we've gone a couple times. Which I still haven't. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the big elusive bass <laughs> evades me. Every time they see you coming, they're like <laughs> running the back of the pond. It's like I don't know what to do. You got so we got one pond here that's basically been never been fished, other than I mean last couple so of years so infrequently yeah. in the last two years yeah it was stocked like 25 years ago it's about eight acres so we put a 17 foot uh, uh bass boat on there and converted it to a pond boat right and basically just have a big motor uh, electric motor on the front so you have casting decks and it's right. pretty cool so if you're not if you've never been on a real bass boat and had that area to cast off of well, yeah. and, and you know you've been on it it's a, it's it's a little refreshing than having to be jostled around in a little right. john boat and going overboard true it's nice just to bring the kids out and even even if they want just practice, you know, to cast, it's so calm and peaceful and you can just get them out there casting. And it's, it's a great way that I was able to get my kids out and just have some fun. Yeah. Spend a day. And there's, you know, we've got some guys that fish there that are some pretty good fishermen and they've caught some big, they've caught some good fish. I've yeah, seen the fish. I'm I'm just like, I got to get Garrett on one of these. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, you know, so we got a, a, a buddy of mine that's out here um, that's fishing. He's fishing come out here tonight Matthew Martin I'll mention his name because he's he's always giving us pictures and he doesn't care he'll tell you anything he's like right. what he's using because I was like he, he's like I don't care tell them what I'm using they're not going to catch right. him anyway <laughs> yeah, huh? he goes they're not as good as me they're not as good yeah 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 <laughs> they're not going to they can use it they they're not going to catch it go ahead there's see there's that's what's great about you know fishermen is they'll like they have their secrets yeah. and their tricks yeah. and they'll give you a hint yeah 
and then you got to figure it out from there. Yeah. You know, yeah, you so, can, they're over there. Yeah. Yeah. They're I in can't that put them on your line. Yeah. I can show you where they're at. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to catch them. <laughs> it depends on what you have on the end of that uh, hook. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's going to work. But. And if you can set the hook. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So, yeah. And um, so we did, so we added the fishing. Um, and we just got this year um, a conditional use permit that allows us to have a bigger um, um, footprint for events. So we now we can do bigger events. We can have more cars. We can have we have extended parking now. Um, we can um, get people to come out. It, could, it can be weddings, corporate events. Uh, it could be Ducks Unlimited. It doesn't really matter. It could be right. anybody. Um, we had folks here today shooting a commercial for uh, a local uh, car dealership. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they needed some open fields where they could take their cars right. over some hills and things of that sort. So they'll use a property. I mean, we'll use it for anything that makes sense. Right. Um, we don't allow people to come out and tear it up with their ATVs. We of don't, course. you know, we want, we don't want that type of a footprint. Right. Um, but we do want people to use the property. That's the main thing is we want people to come out and use the open space because the idea is my father-in-law did not want to see this go to development. Right. And that's what we're going to try to do. And I think that's been a difficult thing for a lot of people. If they're just getting involved, maybe in whether it's hunting, maybe it's fishing or just trying to say, you know what? I'm tired of the city life. I need to get outside. Where can I go if I'm not going to go to a state park? I want somewhere that's not crowded, not busy, um, where I can kind of meander on my own. Where do I go? Yeah. This is and a great place. You know, from an Uplands pers- Upland Bird perspective, you know, we're 35, 40 minutes from downtown. You can leave the museum district if you live there or the fan or whatever, get here in 40 minutes and be hunting up, be hunting pheasant like you would in South Dakota. Right. That's just crazy. It doesn't I mean, seem possible. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible. So, yeah, it's preserve hunting, but it is, it, you're going to be able to, if you get a guide, you're going to have good steady dogs. Right. You're going to have a good time. And, you know, so, you know, for the price of uh, what we spend going wild bird hunting and moving out there, you can come out here probably four or five times and <laughs> and, uh, and get your limit, get more than your limit every day. That's true. You don't so have don't to have go Kansas or Nebraska, yeah. you can it's not come three right per here. day here. You yeah. know, you buy twenty pheasant, and you shoot eighteen, <laughs> you got all eighteen. <laughs> so you know, you you uh, that's okay. How many different fields? I mean, look as a as a guide, as a curator of the land, I guess you would say there's still a lot of work that goes into maintaining the preserve. Um, oh, how many do you have a, a staff? Yeah. So, and Jane could speak to this better than me, but I'll try to, you know, I'll try to dance around the best I can and give there's a, we have a farm manager, Kendall Mitten. He's our full-time staff farm manager. Jane's full-time on this and, you know, running the preserve, hiring and, you know, hiring all of our help for setting hunts. And, you know, we spend the entire summer just beating back nature. Right. From the two trails, from, from the, from the, um, 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 ATV trails or, or the, I'm sorry, the two tracks and the UTV trails and the roads and the washouts and the culvert washouts and the, I mean, everything, it just never ends. I was going down to Licking Hole Creek the other day and there's, I mean, it's four feet around a sycamore just fell. It's like 80 feet tall oh, wow. right in front of the, I mean, this is on our main road and you know, if, you know sycamore is not going to get cut up that easy. No. So, you know, that's got to be dealt with now. It's always something. So Jane spends a lot of her time just 
hiring people, getting people out here, you know, you know, putting in more gravel, fixing the dam. It's got a leak in it, you know, getting a getting Which a that happened up. this yeah. year. Was it this year? Yeah, it was this year. The dam, which leads to the pond. Got a leak in it after 10 years. It had been fixed earlier and started leaking again. And uh, it got down to the point where it was critical. And we had to get to the bottom of it to the bottom of the hole was 20 feet down. So the, the dam is 40 feet the 40 feet tall on the back side of the dam oh wow so we had a track hoe out there digging 20 feet in and right. and and having to find that and then pumping in concrete and uh all oh, it was it was a mess wow so that but it filled up quick and, right. and not, we didn't lose one fish which was really cool that's awesome yeah so we have a really deep channel in there mm -hmm. and they all go in into the channel and and bear down and and do what they need to do um so as, as long as it doesn't get into dangerous proportions i thought it looked rough but it, i've seen it worse when we had the first leak um i mean this happens every now and then the you know the beavers will get down there and they'll 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 we'll have a washover on some of the other ponds that are right. you know we have fish in you've fish a little one over there so you know these things have it, it just never ends has the moisture that we've had did the, all that rain do and i mean that was an we had i know at my house 40 minutes away from here yeah. had nine inches of rain yeah. in 24 hours yeah so that washed out the entire main road from here all the way down oh, to the center no. field so that was kendall's job the next when next monday whenever tuesday he came in he was just dragging and and and, and uh using the blade on the john deere just bringing all that gravel back in and you know i mean this is what we do right i mean you just deal with it or the river the river uh we cut we go above flood stage i don't know how many feet three or four feet and the, all those lower fields that you've hunted in the yeah. dog leg and the keyhole we have names for all these fields they just become lakes wow. and that's all flood zones down there people don't realize right. there's probably two three hundred acres of this area down there that's just all flood zone so if it if that river raises up and it, it's in it, it happens frequently as right. you know you know we're we have to wait for those receiver to get into those fields Man. so it's you know and it and it it's uh it's um it's always something well i think that's something that maybe you know when you say it's always something i think that always something is the thing that people don't think about when if they're coming from the city you know and their only experience to get into the outdoors is every once in a while or to come out to something to a property like this and they see how beautiful it is and they see all of the space and the the neatly groomed trails and everything else that's a lot of work you know it just doesn't show up overnight no it doesn't you know? it's constant yeah. it's constant and we're really lucky because our customers take care of the property they you know we don't find a lot of trash i mean there's certain things that we would have to do if, if you're in some preserves that we don't we're lucky i mean we don't have to do a lot of cleanup um you always get somebody who does something some knuckleheaded thing they shouldn't be doing but you know <laughs> for the most part they they're they they're respectful right they clean up and they move they leave their field you know not every hunt is guided about half the hunts are unguided okay so All folks right. come out here with their own dogs right and they get to hunt so you know to being able to you know run a young dog i mean on on real game birds i mean that's priceless yeah to get your dog on scent on odor and to make sure your six-month-old dog or eight-month-old pup 
is figuring out how to work a scent funnel and how to get in there and really do that. And uh, I know you want to talk dog training. I do want to talk dog training in a few minutes. We'll get there. But but, I'm already trying to go there, right? Uh, (laughs) We can go there if you want. I don't care. We can do whatever we want to do. No, it's fine. Um, Now, Mm. I remember how I got there now. So, you know, but whatever it is, people have access to that where they wouldn't have it. Right. So, you know, you say, oh, well, you're on a preserve. That's different than wild birds. Yeah, it is, but it's game birds. And what you want your dog to do is get on birds. So we give them access to our homing pigeons. That's part of the bird dog training as well. But again, it's just one more offering. We didn't used to do that here. We let people come out and do the dog training membership. Mm -hmm. So for a hundred bucks a month, you can come out and basically have unlimited use of this property with a dog. Here's Which, my hundred dollars yeah, right now. I know. I mean, if you think about it, and that gives you access to the pigeons. Yeah. Oh wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, the homing pigeons. Wow. So okay. you get to come out here, hang out, run your dog, throw pigeons, hang around the fire, have a beer. It's all good. What is the process when you're getting ready for a hunt? When say you have a client coming out and they're they want to hunt on their own, they've got their own dog. How do you prepare the field? How do you prepare the birds? Right. So there's a little bit of secret sauce. That, that's in there. okay. Yeah. But, I don't but, want you to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and luckily I don't know how to do it anymore. So that's good. I've, I've forgotten it. I blocked <laughs> it. So, but, uh, you know, the idea is someone calls, they book a hunt. They're going to do a mixed bag hunt. They'll say they want, we do quail, chucker, and pheasant. And they're going to want 20 quail, you know, 10 chucker and five pheasant. I'm just making it up, but you know, just, just whatever you pick numbers. Those birds are put into their field anywhere from a half hour to an hour before they will hit their field. Okay. So we have a process to sleep those birds down, make sure that they don't run out. And now if they're coming in four or five hours later, that's going to be a problem. And we wouldn't want to put those birds out that early. Um, but they're going to get on their birds. They're going to be able to work their dogs and they're going to, they're going to find their birds. Um, and I may not find every bird, but they're going to find their birds. Um, and we teach our staff, every one of our staff members, how to properly do that. Um, and, um, we make sure we buy birds from quality game bird growers. It can't be just from anybody. It's got to people that have a record of buying flight condition birds. Mm -hmm. The birds have to be able to fly well. Right. And that's part of the game. If you have a preserve, the first thing you're going to be asked and what you should be asked is, do your birds fly well? Right. And if you're going to say yes, you better be able to back it up. That brings up a good question. So if I was coming to a preserve for the first time, what are some of the questions that I would ask? You know, you brought up that one about how well do your birds fly, but what are some other things that... Well, here's a, here's a great one I love. Okay. It's, you know, you'll we put out, you know, with pheasant, you put out roosters and, and, and hens. Yes. So male and female uh, pheasant. And when you go to Kansas to hunt, you're not allowed to shoot the hens. So you're, you're running out in pens, and every, every, every third, fourth bird is a rooster out there. Every other one's a hen. Yeah. So as soon as a bird gets up, you're, one of your buddies is going to yell, hen, hen, hen. And everybody's like, oh, dang it. Here we uh-huh. go again. Here, you can shoot whatever's up. Right. So I've had guys will go out last year. These guys are experienced wild bird hunters. They're probably thinking and in their mind. And there goes a hen, and there's four hunters, and they're all staring at this hen, and I'm looking at I'm looking at them, and I thought, well, something's not happening here. And I was like, shoot it! 
And they're like, no, I can't. And they're like, no, man, it's it was a hen. And they're looking uh, at me like I'm crazy. Right. And I was like, we're on a preserve. If it moves, shoot, shoot it. Shoot it. Yeah, you yeah. can do that. As long as it's a safe shot. So, yeah, if it's a safe shot and it's out there, go ahead, shoot it. Uh, uh, we tell people, you know, shoot, shoot, shoot. Some right. people, you know, or people just, they're just, they're gun shy because you give them that safety talk at front yeah. at first. And you probably yeah. heard it. And they're, fr- and they're like, I don't want to mess up. Right. I don't want to shoot a dog. I don't want to shoot a human for sure. Well, I remember the first time you told me that. You're like, just no, don't shoot low. Don't shoot my dog. And then every time I shot, I'd see the bird take off. And I'm like, okay, I got it. There's there the dog. dog. Where's there, the dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the dog? At? I'd be focused on the dog yeah, more than so the bird. We want our dogs to be steady to shot, ideally. Right. And they start out that way. But halfway through the season, yeah, they're pretty loose. Yeah. So that's just because you're out here so much and you're running three or four dogs and they're just getting, it doesn't, it's not like wild bird hunting. Right. I mean, they're getting on so many birds. I mean, my dogs might they're have wore out. 800 to 1,000 birds shot over them wow. in a season. Right. So, you know, that's just not reality on in wild bird hunting. Right. So those dogs are all about retrieving. Mm-hmm. Get the bird and bring it back. Bring it back. Get the bird and bring it back. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, how fast can a dog get, pick up the bird and go out oh and get the next gosh. one? How many, how many people do you, uh, how many hunters do you have come through in a season? Oh, that's a great question. How many hunters? I don't know. We have at least, I would say around 800 to 900 hunts go okay. out. So, you know, it would be unusual to be, have a one man hunt. You'll so say it's usually two, two three, or four? Yeah, three, four guys. Yeah. Okay. Or women, whatever. Right. But, um, or you might have every now and then we'll let a fifth person out. If you got a young shooter and you know, the right. dad is really on their arm. Uh, we'll let five shooters out, but it's four is, is where you want to be as, as far as safety reasons. Um, you might have a, and you can bring, you don't have to, and not everybody has to shoot. So right. that's another thing is you can bring your spouse and sometimes it's, you know, that's a male or a female that, you know, it could be somebody who you like Kate, who you took uh, lessons yeah. from. She's going to bring some women out with her husbands or the walk around. They're the ones walking behind. Right. So that adds more. From a guide's perspective, that's more of a safety issue. Right. You got to think about that. And now I've got another body in the field. Where, where's that person at? Right. So we want them to be up next to the gunner, and we talk to them about that where right. they need to be. And so, um, you know, but so about, I would say, you know, 800, 900 ounces, but I would say we probably release well over 10,000 quail wow. a year, okay. maybe 12, 13,000 quail, probably as many as 4,000 chucker, 4,000 pheasant. Ch- chucker's gotten very popular. Right. I was going to say, what do people prefer? What do hunters prefer when they're out in the field? Yeah, Which so part? there's there, there is the classic Virginia quail hunt. Right. People want to put quail out, um, and not every quail is going to fly great. I'm going to be honest. Let's, it is a preserve, but they generally they fly good, and and they, they, fly, they fly well enough where you can take a safe shot okay and that's what you want you yeah. want your birds because quail don't follow directions they didn't get the memo <laughs> <laughs> it's like the chucker and the pheasant they're going that way if you kick them that way but you know or if you at least rush up on them the, the quail are going to fly right past your face go behind mm-hmm. you everybody's got to take a turn and shoot behind right. so you know they're just they just don't follow directions well but um uh you know people they want to know about that they want to know about you know what's a safe shot what's it going to look like when the bird comes up and you can describe you know we don't know what the quail is going to do right the chucker's usually going to start off this way it's going to flank right it's going to flank left or whatever it's going to do pheasant's going to look like an osprey helicopter it's going to come up and then it's 40 miles an hour out you better right. start shooting <laughs> Uh, you know, some some people shoot late, some people shoot early. It just depends, and you can tell which whatever it is. What, what they is did. your favorite to do? Um, if you're going out, whether it's whether it's just being here or you're going. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, on the preserve guiding, you know what my favorite is is 
going out with a group who appreciate the dog work. Right. So I don't know if that answers your question exactly. But if you go out and and you're if you're hunting chucker or pheasant or quail, it doesn't really matter. They're, these guys are having or girls or whatever they're having a good time right and every time the dogs go on point and then the other two dogs come up and back and everybody holds and everything works out great and they're like man i've never seen dogs that do that i've been hunting yeah. and my buddy's dog man he just runs wild through the field right and you never know what bird's coming up when or when you're going to get a shot off that's rewarding to have people and i'll be honest with you, i came to the hunting game late i was a big bass fisherman right and i got into it with my father-in-law and got into llewellyn setters i came late to the game and for me it was it was all about the dogs from the beginning right. watching the dogs work it was amazing to me and watching how they pick up odor how they'd work odor how they works and how they drop it how they pick it up especially on wild birds if you're running with a pheasant in kansas mm -hmm. i mean those things will take you on a walk for 800 yards right. and it is a an amazing thing to watch a dog's nose is incredibly powerful i've seen your dogs work i've seen uh another guide who's been out here who i've hunted with before um and i've seen one of his dogs work i think he had a, that was a chocolate lab or something that i think was out here i can't remember um but so this makes for a good transition to talk about dogs for a bit i mean hunting upland birds it takes not just the work of the guide most of the work is done with the dog in front of you yeah you know to be honest with you the way i would put it is you almost have to be an entertainer if you're there's a pigeon oh. just came up to the window pigeon just came, pigeon just came right up to the window <laughs> said hi yeah at least he's he thinks it's his coop <laughs> um so anyway um you 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 really do because anything can happen out there i right. mean it could start raining and all of a sudden that's not fun to right. hunt in the rain and you got to change directions and talk about something else you know figure out something else mm -hmm. if your dogs are doing their job you're just kind of the ringleader and you're just you're, you're just watching you're facilitating the hunt if you've got a real experienced hunters you don't have to do much at all and right. it's really neat watching those guys work behind your dogs they know where to be they know how fast to rush up um so obviously that's fun yeah but Sometimes, you know, you get that first time or second time or those, those, those newbie hunters out there and they're so excited and they're so enthralled by the whole event, you know, whether they drop a bird or not. And that's fun too. So, you know, there's that. I mean, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have the weird instance with the unsafe shot. You got to, you got to yell at somebody. You got to tell the kid he's going back to the car. Right. It, this is rare. Yeah. For the most part, it's really fun. And yeah, but when you have somebody who appreciates the dog work and you're a dog man, mm -hmm. it all kind of comes together. Now, is there, uh, like you, you have Llewellyn's. Yes. Um, explain that breed to me i don't yeah. know as much about it so there's there the llewellyn setter is not a recognized akc breed it's actually would be if you registered that dog with akc would be an english setter oh wow okay yep yep so it's it's basically a line of of english setters and it's uh, the llewellyn line has can be traced back to roughly six pillars of the of of, of six dogs that were brought over by uh i'm not going to go into all the details and there's guys that are experts on it that are better than me at it um but uh 
Laverick and Llewellyn, these two guys that, 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 that got this breed going back, and we're talking back in the 18, late 1800s, and brought these dogs over and were spread out all over the United States in different little, little, little pockets. And now you have even lines within the Llewellyn lines, you know, um, where a couple of my dogs come from New Mexico out of Jornada setters. Mm. They look a little different than the ones that come out of where one of my females is from, Lynn Hill. That's closed now. But Llewellyn setter line is, is actually, it's, it's upsetting a little bit. It's a dying breed. Really? Yeah, because we've, we're, we've, closed, we've closed the outcrossing. You can't, a Llewellyn cannot be bred to an English setter and be called a Llewellyn. Oh, wow. Okay. So a Llewellyn setter, now, now there, there are people that use the term Llewellyn to describe, let's say, a smaller setter that doesn't look like a bench setter that you see at Westminster yeah. that hunts out here. It's not actually incorrect to say that looks like a Llewellyn setter. Yeah, it does. It's gotten hard to tell them apart. Um, and uh, the ones that I've got, for example, out of New Mexico, you see some of those dogs are pretty darn big, um, reaching 60 pounds, which is as big as a regular English setter. Llewellyn setters are known for being smaller, stealthier, uh, agile in the field. Um, they're, they're, they're hard pushers. They're going to be a little more heat tolerant. They're going to be all these things that they tried to breed into that upland dog right. that they couldn't get out of that big English setter. Okay. So that's where the Llewellyns came from. I mean, and, and why do I like them? I, I'm going to be totally honest. If, if my father-in-law had GSPs, German short hairs, uh-huh. yeah. or had, had had English pointers, I'd be talking right now about English gotcha. <laughs> English pointers and, and German shorters. But he had Llewellyns. Okay. And we had a pet and we, and, you know, that we took off the farm. And, and, uh, and uh, he told me how great these dogs were. And I just believed him and, and went forward from there. And I, I fell in love with the breed. They are, look, I've watched them perform and they are, they are smart. They are agile. They seem to never stop working. You know, it's not until you say, okay, this one's got to take a break yeah. that you will pull them back and then yeah. get a, a fresh dog. Yeah. Out. And you know, some of these young dogs, two to three year old dogs, they will literally, you have to watch them, especially when September and even October when it's hot, they will hunt themselves to death with heat stroke. So you have to watch those dogs and guys that have a bigger string. You know, I've got four dogs I can take out five dogs, whatever it might be. I'm going to be able to be a little bit more efficient in how I get on birds because if you're running just one dog and it's hot out, that's rough. Right. That's rough. And you got to watch your dog more. You got to take more breaks. And people understand, yeah. you know, we have great guides that have just a one or two dogs, but we also have guides that have more. Yeah. So the, being able to have that option mm-hmm. as a guide to throw down another dog, you yeah. know, and you can have an injured dog too. So, um, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Well, we've done that where you've, I've been out with you. You took me out and. And you're like, look, I got to switch out dogs because yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember all of their names. But uh, but tell yeah. me what he did or he did wrong. I'll tell you which one it was. No, I don't think they did anything wrong. I just think you. I mean, you busted it was, a cover or I think I came out in October and I brought uh, somebody with me. I think I brought my son-in-law with me, and it was right. it was obnoxiously hot that day. Right. So yeah. yeah, it did take. So some time my to bigger is I have a, I have a setter named. His name is Blanco. I think it was Blanco. Yeah, and he's he's a 
big bone. He's one of the ones out of New Mexico. He's a great dog. And people love to hunt behind this dog because he throws these really staunchy, cool points. Right. He'll be running around. He'll get hit side, side of the face with the scent. And it's like, wham! And it's, it's just, and, it's, and it doesn't matter what position his body in. He'll be looking backwards. Right. His tail's out frontwards. And it can be really cool. Now, that dog, to be honest with you, is not going to do well in the heat. He's big. Right. He's got big bones. He's carrying a lot of weight. Not fat. He's all muscle. Right. But he's working hard. Yeah. And it's not about how, it's really not about so much how, even how long you're hunting the dog. It's how many points did he have? How many times right. did he go on point and every single muscle in that Stiff. dog's body is tense and his mind is just dumping? Right. So it's mentally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. So people ask me, well, how long can your dogs hunt? And I'll say, well, my dogs could probably handle 10 to 20 points. That'd be fine. My dog only had four points today. They were fine. Or my dog had 30 points today. They're exhausted. Right. That's that's the determining factor. Yeah. So what probably happened is we had a warm day. Yeah. We probably got on birds really quick. I was like, yeah. Garrett's coming out. We need to put a lot of birds out there. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> put a lot of birds and yeah. I'm going to end up yeah, yeah, missing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want him to miss too many, right? <laughs> so like, he could just keep shooting at the quail. <laughs> so I want big cubbies, big uh -huh. cubbies. So the do you probably started hitting and your son-in-law started hitting and all of a sudden I've got birds everywhere yeah. and he every time he retrieves, that's more energy. Right. And they got to go, they, because they got to hunt dead. They got to find that bird True. in that green grass. So it's early season. They're running a lot just trying to find it. It's exhausting. So, and the earlier it is in the season, the harder it is to find a bird right. because they're having to smell all that perfume out there, which is flowers and grass. The dog's probably smelling 200 things and it has to pick out of that one 200 pieces of scent the bird. And that's not an alive bird, that's a dead bird. So they know the difference between a live bird, a crippled bird, and a totally dead bird. Just by its scent? Yes. Wow. By the blood, by how it's moving. Huh. Yeah. I, all I can think about is me going, okay, there's pizza, and <laughs> there's my wife's perfume. I know the difference. That's about it. Yeah. Start to put the two together, yep. I'm going to lose my mind. Right. So, so for the dog, that's chaotic. They've got, which is it going to be? The perfume, the pizza, but it's 10 perfumes, and yeah. it's 10 pizzas. So then imagine. it has to zero in on the on the stromboli. <laughs> that's true. That's a whole different thing. Right. Oh so, you know, that's what it is for yeah. a dog. You know, I don't know what the number is. 40,000 times the scent capacity of a human being. I don't know what the real number is. I'm, I think I heard that number. Or maybe it's 40,000 different scents. I worked with this guy in Wisconsin, Sonny Picar. He's a great bird, uh, dog man. Um, really interesting guy. Another um, uh, disciple of Rick Smith like myself. And um, we took some puppies into a store and you watch those puppies where they're going to be detection dogs. Yeah. And we take those puppies over the vent near the cooler that's in the floor. And those puppies smell that vent. And I was, I was watching every, every puppy goes up and smells that vent for about 20 seconds and moves along or 10 seconds and moves along. And I was talking to a, an expert we know down in Auburn and he says, that dog just put his thumb drive in the computer <laughs> and just downloaded 200, 300, 400, 1,000 different smell, wow. scents, and odors out of that drain. So, you, you know, it, for, for, so again, it's chaotic. The yeah. dog has to, then he has to sort those things and put them in order, you know, if you're going to teach him how to just be attentive to one odor. When you find... A, a puppy that you like what are qualities that you look for in it doesn't matter what breed i guess nope. it would just be specific on qualities that you see in a puppy like what are your little test mechanisms to go you know what 
that dog right there is going to be a great bird dog. Yep. Yeah. So that's a great question because I do, I do a lot of bird dog training now and I get dogs in from eight weeks old to I've got an eight year, eight year old Gordon setter and I got a five year old lab and I got, and some of these dogs, some of them have hunted some of them. I've got dogs that have never hunted and they come in, they're four years old and it's a Vishla. Right. Okay. That's a different training than that eight week old puppy coming in. I want that puppy between two and five months for critical puppy development. And that puppy is totally malleable. I can do whatever I want. That dog is going to be fine. They're all good. They're all coming out of good pedigrees now. They're all, I mean, you know, that whole, this whole, you know, they're good dogs. Every dog I get is a good dog. As far as the breed, the line, the question is, did they bring them in soon enough? You know, did they let that dog hap, let chase and run and bust birds and do what it was supposed to as a bird dog puppy? Mm-hmm. Or was it at home for the first year and a half, sitting on the couch, being fed biscuits every <laughs> time it got down from the couch when it was told on the yeah. third time to get down? Right. You know, or if you begged it to get down. So it trained their owner really well when to give it a treat. <laughs> I was good at that down. with my Vishlas. <laughs> I had two Vishlas. One of them just would look at me and I'm like, here's some steak, whatever. I don't even <laughs> yeah. care. Yeah. They trained you really well. Yeah. So that, you know, they're smart. They know how, exactly when to get their treat. So, um, we have a little different method here, but, um, I'm looking for that pup that I can f- kind of meld and mush around and bring yeah. it any which direction I want. That dog that runs out and grabs that quail and has no fear and then goes and grabs another one. And when you go grab it, it gives you just a little bit of a snarl, but not a growl, not a bite, or it runs away. Right. That's going to be a dog I can work with. Okay. But that's all you need to see. That's a dog that's gained possession of the bird, picked it up at eight weeks old, and right. I've got videos I show you. This little puppy's doing this, and they'll do it with a, a pheasant. Little puppy's dragging the pheasant through the grass, <laughs> trying to get it to its lair. Because <laughs> you know, the pheasant is yeah. like twice as yeah. big as the puppy. I mean, these dogs in the wild, I mean, these dogs, if these were feral dogs, they'd be hunting at yeah. six weeks old. Right. They're not weaned like our dogs. I mean, at, at mama's already kicked them off the teat at five mm-hmm. six weeks it's wow. over yeah so you got to think about it. these puppies are already hunting it's true they're eight weeks old wow. they're either gonna they're not gonna make it right. if they don't try to get something to eat and they're eating yeah. sticks and berries until they can get some that's the other thing is there's some genetics that were they're like you know you you think they're not going to get something to eat without that they're thinking how do you get them to not think that that's food versus yeah having a soft mouth so and bringing it, it great right question. so you. the question is you know is that your bird or is that my bird? Right. So that, so what we do is there's training methods. I don't get into all the details. We can, we can, we can work the dog. If, if they start becoming a hard mouth dog, which means they crunch in birds or might even start eating. I've had it with a couple of my dogs. Yeah. They, they retrieve so many bloody birds that have been shot really close range. Right. I mean, there's hardly anything left of the bird. The dog, don't, the dog might not even know what to retrieve. <laughs> Some people just get such a big black, bam, with a 12 gauge. And you're like, okay, we got a leg that way, a leg that way. I know it sounds disgusting. It happens. I had one of those last season, I think. You went, wow, dog, that was a little close. Yeah, and the dog goes out and brings you a, a, a look. It picks up the head, and then it's like, well, it's either going to eat it or it's going to bring <laughs> it back. And, uh, you know, so Blanco might have swallowed that, 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 that quail head. But whatever, you can, teach, you can bring that back out. Okay. And it's nothing that can't be fixed. Right. Um, we can train that back out. I'd rather have a dog that was enthusiastic, had a lot of desire, mm-hmm. and just wanted to rip up the bird and then take it out than a dog. If I have to try to put in prey drive, and I've got dogs like this now, that 
you know what it is, and I'm a, someone's going to kill me for this, I know this, is we've turned into not we're not we're not training dogs to be bird dogs we're training pets to into beat to try to be a bird dog i don't think that's a bad thing i think a lot of people are trying to get their pet to be a bird dog right and they should if it's yeah. their they're gonna but it's hard right and they got to be willing as i ask them are you all in right are you bringing me a three-year-old lab and i just threw a bird and it ran the other way are you in i'll get the, i'll stoke the fire i'm gonna get that dog liking birds i was gonna say what does all in mean at that point when i when you're sitting there telling yeah. me yeah. i just watched my dog go the other way but i'm like oh man this is gonna suck and, hey, and then i gotta play psychologist with the hand, with the owner yeah because they just went into a deep depression what does all in mean at that point yeah. do you does all in mean the dog is gonna live here for a while right. or yeah. you're gonna be back yeah. three days a week right. so you know? i give them a choice i say look this is a wonderful dog. It's got great, these manners and obedience are good. We can fix those up. You could have this dog as a companion. Right. You've got another puppy you just bought. It's four months old. Some, a lot of people have two right. more than one dog. Yeah. Let's concentrate on that dog. Let's bring this dog, you know, that's an option you have. Right. Is it, no, no, I want that dog to be a gun dog. Okay, that's fine. It's what you want. It's not what I want. Right. I mean, what I want is totally different than what you want. Yeah. So what you want is you want that dog it's okay if you want that dog to be interested in birds i'll bring it along the best i can no promises but we can usually somehow or another get that fire stoked right. on that dog and it <laughs> might take four or five other dogs that are in the same position as him to come out with them right and then again a little competition going and we you know between the dogs you're, you're rolling around with a <laughs> the dead pheasant on the ground do they really do dogs get into a competition <laughs> do you see that uh, absolutely that's when you get your dust-ups. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On they retrieve. get a little grumpy. Yeah. I mean, you know, most of the times we've, we train dogs out of that early. Right. And we, we, you, can, you can fix that quicker. Right. Um, you don't want to see that in some of the higher profile breeds with the drots and the, you know, some of these, these big, you know, dogs that are, you want, you want them to be calm all the time. But, you know, you get a, a Brittany out there and a, and a setter out there and, and you drop a bird and they're, you know, all of a sudden they're both going. Right. And you got two alpha males. Yeah, you might get a little growl, but usually it's nothing more than a, a, a little bit of a err. Uh, uh. What are your favorites to train? Do you have a favorite? St step aside from your Llewellyns sure. from from that breed, since you have those, and that's what you're used to. Yeah. What, <clears throat> as you've worked with the dogs for upland bird hunting specifically, yeah. um, what is your favorite? What ones do you see as? I mean, is the there one ones. that's easiest? Yeah, is there one <laughs> yeah. that's easier to train uh, than another? No, or does it I matter? think it gets, I really honestly, it's it really, all in the dog. It gets, it's the age that you get okay. them at. If I get that dog at eight weeks old, yeah. I can, I'm not going to guarantee, I can pr almost promise you, you are going to be able to hunt that dog at a year old, at least as a started dog. Okay. okay that means the dog is steady to flush. It's going to, if it's a pointing breed, it's going to allow you to walk out in front of it. It will not move. And once that bird takes flight, it will leave, but you can shoot it in a safe distance. Okay. Okay. So that does, you may say, okay, that's great, but I want my dog to be steady to shot. No problem. We will get it there. Explain the difference. Okay. So different levels of steadiness. A dog first has to just hold point if it's a pointing breed. Right. First, there's a difference between flushing breeds and pointing breeds. Right. It's not a flusher's job, which would be a lab or a, span, a, a Boykin Spaniel or a, a Picarde Spaniel, whatever it might be, to hold point. Okay. Yeah. That's basically just showing you approximately where the bird is. Yep. They 
they got odor and they stopped. Yeah. So if a, a good bird dog gets sent stop, it doesn't matter if it's at 50 yards or at 10 yards, get sent stop. Now that doesn't mean I might have to reposition because I can't find the bird, that's my fault. Right. And then that, that dog will come in a little closer and help me out. The dogs are very forgiving yeah. and they'll help you. That's different than a flushing breed. The flushing breed is get sent, pop in bam 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 shoot now in the huntsmith method that we use we actually once we saw that once we see the flushing breed get birdie mm -hmm. which means animated yeah the tail's moving everything's going crazy going crazy we sit the dog okay. then if it's out at 40 yards we bring our gunners up and then we say flush them up and then that bird dog jumps in bam ah. bam 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 gotcha. 95 percent of the people that come out here with flushing dogs mm -hmm. do not do that the, the flushing dog, they hunt closer in general, and they just let their dogs run and self-hunt. Right. Our dogs, in this training method, they do not self-hunt. They hunt for you. So whether it's a pointer or a flusher, they're going to hunt in the direction I'm walking. And I'm going to be walking laterally across the wind, and I'm waiting for my dog to get sent. Now, I'm, I'm going to give my dog some latitude, but that's the direction I'm walking. If, I want my, if my dog wants to hunt that direction, I'm cool with that. But if I'm going to go right and my dog's going left, my dog needs to go right. Right. So a lot of people, that's not the way it works. They're following their dog and they're just hoping to keep They're just hoping yeah. the dog is zigzagging back and forth. Yeah, and, there, and there's problems with that. I mean, there's safety right. issues or maybe you got to get out of the field and you can't get your dog to come with you. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of issues with that. But, you know, levels of steadiness on a pointer. The dog first has to get sent and stop. That's just, he holds point. Okay, he might only do that as a young, let's say as a four-month-old dog. He might only do that, or a three-month-old dog, or an eight-week-old eight dog. He might do that for three seconds. You see it the first time. We put a wing on a string, yeah. and we're bouncing the string across on a fishing line, mm -hmm. and the dog will chase it, and it'll, the first time it'll, it'll stop because it knows when it puts pressure on the wing, the wing moves. Ah. So if you're lucky enough to be around wild birds and you're in the middle of Wisconsin, the bird teaches your dog to be steady because when your dog puts too much pressure on the wild bird, the bird leaves. We don't have that luxury here. So we have to simulate and fake it right. with launchers, with throwing pigeons, and we have to basically fake the wild bird. Yeah. So that's what we do. And we get, we, and if that dog gets too close and puts too much pressure, I launch that bird out of electronic trap, but that bird's gone, and then the dog has got to watch it fly away. Okay, now I've got a dog that's steady to wing. If the dog doesn't chase the bird, it's now steady to wing. That's the hardest jump to make, steady to flush to steady to wing. Okay. Take, we call it taking chase. Then the other ones are incrementally pretty small, steady to shot, steady to fall, steady to retrieve. You know? So once, the dog, once you've gotten the dog not to chase the bird anymore, I can take my blank pistol with little crimp 22 and pop, and then I introduce louder and louder noise, eventually a shotgun, and the dog doesn't care about the gun. Right. That's another big thing is we don't test our dogs, dogs for gun shyness. In the old days, they take a dog out, chain it to a tree, <laughs> the puppy. And you just start and, shooting and you over just it. You shoot 12 gauge over it and it freaks out. And you got, yep, we got a gun shy dog uh -huh. again. And, yeah. uh, you know, yep, got another gun shy dog. Yep, got another gun shy <laughs> dog. Like every time we tie one up, we get a gun shy dog. Is there a way out of that? Yeah, so what we do is we make sure there's birds in the air puppies they're chasing 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 love the bird love the bird love the bird pop love the bird love the bird love the bird they never even knew any different they just associate the pop or the gunshot or that first blank 22 
with birds. Right. So they just, they never knew any different. They just think it has to do with birds. It's true. Birds <laughs> yeah. flying. The bird birds just... flying. Love the bird. Love the bird. Bam. Love the bird. Still love the bird. Still love the bird. Right. And then they go and they got it. So they could either be running with it in their mouth as a puppy. Yeah. And I'll pick a shot or they could be in the air. But as long as they're on birds and they've got their wide eyed saucer eyes open, that's good. That's what you want. You don't want them, you know, it's, it's tough. I'm usually, I'm not going to say, you, yeah, I'd say usually not, not 90% of the time, but usually a gun shy dog has also got some element of bird shyness to it. Right. They're just not all in on the bird yet. Right. Um, and you can tell, you can tell they're, they'll, they'll go out, they'll chase, but they might, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're a Brittany or a setter or a GSP, or whatever, a classic pointing breed, but they're just not all in. They might've come a little late to the game right? and they, they heard a shot that they shouldn't have heard. And I have guys that come to me that they, they have gun shy dogs that need to be fixed and you can fix it. Right. You can desensitize, but in the back of that mind. 99.9% of the gun, you got to fix. There's that 0.1%. It's still in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and you got to be wow. honest with people and say, you know, we can, we can get this dog hunting. It's not going to run back to the car anymore. Right. I can get him on odor, but that doesn't mean he's not going to act weird every now and then. So if somebody comes in as they, they just, they just bought a new GSP puppies, eight weeks old, and they come to you and say, they're like, Neil, I want a bird dog out of this. So, yep, great question. That's, you know, got probably six, seven dogs right now in that category. They're everywhere. I, I just had an uh, 11 week old Brit come in. I've got an eight week old GSP coming in. I've got an 11 week old GSP. All those dogs are just going through critical puppy development stuff. So, introduction to the to the live quail a warm moving quail but i'm not going to let a pigeon flap and hit him in the face i don't want the dog to start being bird averse right, right, right so something they can catch chew on run away with you know that type of thing then it becomes environmental soundness i want to be able to take my dog up and down the metal stairs you saw out here right. i want to take my dog onto the table i want to be able to take my dog in and out of the swimming little baby swimming pool where it sounds like it's crickling crackling with a bunch of plastic bottles yeah. in it I want my dog to cross a four foot little ford of, of water that's only two inches deep. All that stuff is environmental soundness. I'm gonna put a four inch little check cord, which is just a four inch rope on a bow line on a snap. I'm gonna take that dog into Home Depot and I'm gonna drop things, make noise. I'm gonna let the crazy old lady come up to him and go, ah, that reason you're a puppy. <laughs> right. All that stuff. I want that dog to get exposed to every possible weird sound, an air compressor in an automotive shop. Right. Um, you know, hydraulics, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, the tractor anything and they're not chasing it they're just watching it they're aware of the sound they know it's there but they, they never knew it. that they were supposed to be scared right no one told them to be okay. okay so we just act like we don't make you know we it's not so much that they react as how do they recover so we were looking for that. Does the dog recover away? And that's how dogs wash out in the detection industry. They'll get puppies that are really young and they'll throw something out there that makes a lot of noise. And that puppy runs away. That might, that might be it right. as far as a top order detection dog. So when that dog comes in for bird training, how does that work or do you work in obedience at the yeah. same time yeah so the huntsmith method which is probably 80 percent of what i uh, you know of the methods i use um manners and obedience is the is all the foundation work I, mean, I have to have a dog that does three things if it's a pointer it sits with me if it's a flush it stands with me if it's a flusher it sits with me 
It has to go with me when I walk as a willing worker. Join, that just means join up with me as a partner, not just healing. It has to go with me out in front. If it gets out 100 yards and I take a right, it needs to take a right. If I take a left, it goes left. It always is out in front of me between 10 and 2. That's going with. The third thing it has to do is it has to come to me, which is basically a recall yeah. and the beginning of retrieve. That's all a bird dog has to do. Those three things stay with you, go with you, and come to you. Seems That's simple, it. right? Seems simple. Seems simple. But they got to do it 100% of the time, 100% consistency with any type of distraction. And there's the rub. How long does that take? Uh, that's good. So, <laughs> you know, it depends. It right. depends on the dog. There's different levels of maturity in breeds. There's different, I mean, I'll be, I, I think the Llewellyn's coming along a little bit slower, but not all the time. I started off with a 10, uh, uh, that same dog I was talking about, Blanco. He came to me at 10 and a half months and he was already a started dog and he was already d- doing really well. But I have other dogs that took 13, 14 months. It just depends on the dog. Um, and it's not bad or good. It just is. Right. And you don't worry about it. You just say, okay, we'll, we'll get to it next season. We'll be hunting. Right. You know, because if you drive yourself crazy trying to figure out why this is or why it wasn't, um, especially if you're getting a dog from somebody else and you don't know what they did to the dog. True. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sh- can, can I get a broke dog at 11 months? Yeah. Should I? Probably not. Right. You know, am I going to do something mentally that might not come out to that dog? 15 when it's 15 or 16 months it might pop out something weird might pop out later all of a sudden that dog's bird averse and i don't know why it's something i did when it was 11 months old it wasn't mature enough mentally to to be where i took it so i have to you have to watch the dog you have to watch the dog and figure out how much time do you give for before actually putting the dog into the field on a hunt um, so we're letting, you know, after we do the manners and obedience, which is the foundation work, let's say that takes two months, right. maybe three months. And I'm on my dog six months old. And now I, my dog's also being exposed to pigeons, letting them chase that whole time. I'm doing manners and obedience. I'm also letting them chase birds. Yeah. That's what people don't, they forget that part. And they, then their dogs get overly obedient and they won't hunt. So you you got to let them play. You got to let them play and okay. you got to let them chase birds and you got to let them bump birds and knock birds and, and maybe get a bird every now and then. It doesn't matter, but they got to be, it's got to be about birds. Then as they turn six, seven, eight, nine months old, you start to take chase. So then they can chase the bird and eventually I'm not going to let that dog chase as much anymore. And eventually at a year old, we'll take chase and the dog is being held back and the bird is launched and the dog's not allowed to move. We just do it with a check cord yeah. and then uh, we overlay e-collar on that okay. you know, later on. So this is very low level e-collar stimulation. I was going to say, so the check cord is at the, uh, it looks like almost like a, it's like a, uh, a leash, but it... So that's the command lead. Okay. Okay, so we start on the command lead. Okay. Actually, we start on the tie out, and uh, that you were laughing at when we came in. It looks like you had tw- <laughs> 24 of them out there. It gets crowded here on Sundays. Um, they have to give in to restriction there first on the tie out, and then they have to give in to restriction on the command lead. Okay. Okay? Um, they have to... Um, they have to be willing to be restrained and they have to be okay with it and comfortable with it. And once they do that, I can work them on the command lead. I have a willing worker. That is a dog that makes forward progress. That's a dog that will go with me. It's a dog. I can take over the agility equipment out here. You see all the agility equipment. It's not because I want my dogs to be agility dogs. It's because I want my dogs to overcome those obstacles so that they can learn no matter what. Well, there's going to be obstacles out in the field that they have to overcome. It's not all as flat as you think it is, or you see, you know, weeds, 
coming up. Yeah, yeah they got everything. Yeah, could be something scary looking. Right. Um, so an old rusty metal car that looks like a monster. Right. So you know, it, it, it you just don't know what it is. Um, so you get them to overcome that, and um, then I would say you know we're we're we've got dogs on birds in traps launchers, uh, you know eight nine months eight nine ten months. Uh, starting to work them and wow. seeing how they do. And if it looks like they're not ready for it, we just come back. And the great thing about the Huntsmith system is it's very stepwise and very, very methodical. Once a dog has trouble or fails, let's say, and fail not being a bad word, right. um, at one level, you, all you do is you just go back to the last successful step they were on right. and you repeat it and you start again. Gotcha. And then, and you might take a month off. So, okay, that dog is not mature enough right now to be able to hold it together on birds leaving, I'm not gonna try to study that dog right. at seven, eight months. It's just not right. That dog is still acting like a four month old puppy. Right. Um, and it may be because it came to me late. It may be because something the handler or the owner did that I don't know about. Um, and I can tell you that there's very few dog problems. They're handler problems. Right. And when even myself, when I when my dogs mess up in the field, and I've got all four of them out there, and something goes haywire, and I'm like, oh, here we go. This is not good. I got a cubby broke up. <laughs> this is gonna be all hell's breaking loose. People, I got gunners everywhere, and I got and they're not in the line. Dogs are moving. Yeah, it's my fault. I did something I shouldn't have done. I should have stopped those dogs earlier. I should have stopped them 100 yards ago, got them to hold up, stopped them, gathered up a dog, took one in on a check cord, took two more, and let the other two go in. Something different than what I did. Yeah. And you see that with new beginning hunters. First dog, your first bird dog. There's a saying out there, you always mess up your first bird dog. Right. I think it's, I think it's pretty true. And, because I did it. Um, but... And then, thankfully, you got you find someone who helps you bring bring it around. Bring them back, yeah. Yeah, and um, so I got lucky enough to find Rick Smith, who, who who did that with me, and he's probably one of the most famous bird dog trainers in the world. And so, you know, you you, you get a dog that 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 messes up, and then you learn from that, and you don't make that mistake again. But these are all handler errors, and and they and everybody knows when they do it. You can tell, right. and it's 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 a self awakening. You sit there and you watch, you watch the person. He goes, "I knew he was gonna do that." Right. And I'm like, "Why didn't you stop him?" I don't know. <laughs> I, I I didn't know you could. Right. I was like, "That's what we got the e collar for. Uh -huh. Make him stop." Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's like that's you know, it's just it's like, oh, now I know. And right. then you get it fixed next time. Not many things you can't you can't fix. Right. Um, you can't. And these dogs are very forgiving. I mean, they. It, it, it's funny. You know, I, I watch people out that are in foundation at the first few weeks, which they young dogs. They've never been out here before, and they're just totally messing up. They're, I mean, it's just, and then they got no touch. They're just totally. I mean, I'm beyond. They're totally they're uncoordinated they can't do anything right <laughs> and i'm trying to help these people and the dog is trying to help them right their own dog is oh like he gosh. doesn't want you to go that way uh -huh. he wants you to go this way and they're jerking the dog around and eventually you know, they, they figure it out and i tell them i said don't worry your dog's gonna help you yeah. that's funny <laughs> and they're like you're like really yeah they uh -huh. will eventually your dog will help you they'll get you there. yeah you know, they'll help you they right. will help you once they mature they'll tell you what you're doing wrong because wow. what they're going to do is their four-year-old, they go out there and they point. You might be in a field trial, which is competitive stuff. 
and your dog's on point. You're like, there's no bird here. There's no bird here. And the judges are watching. You go, trust your dog. Trust your mm-hmm. dog. And you leave. And sure enough, there goes a bird. And you get you know, points taken away or your dog gets blip, uh, um, picked up. And you're like, dang, I should have just, just trusted my dog. Right. And yeah, the dog's, you gotta, dog's looking at you like this with his hands up. I told you. I told you. I told you, I told you it was a bird. Yeah. Thing. Why didn't you just listen? Yeah. You saw my tail up. There's always the trust your instincts <laughs> yep. and there's trust your dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, uh, um, have you ever competed in the trials? A couple times. It's not my gig. No. Um, those guys are a whole different level of training. When I say level, the level of steadiness that's expected is not what we expect as a companion gun dog. So if I want dogs that are going to hunt in the field with me, my dog has to be steady. It can't leave and it can't chase. But if it takes a step with one foot, I just move my hand across the table. <laughs> um, and it could be even just a... For some judges, it could be two inches. And all it did was mark the bird flying behind it. Huh. But it didn't leave. That dog gets picked up. In U.S. Complete Amateur Gun Dog, he's done. Because it's so competitive and there's so many good dogs. Yeah. They're just looking for something to get you out of there. Yeah. And I, I've got friends of mine, Dennis Kivico, a friend of mine and a guide here. And he's a, he's a great dog trainer. He's got a, a, an amateur champion, a national champion uh, um, English pointer named Louise. Um, that dog is amazing. I mean, you can blast rockets off in front of that dog. It doesn't matter what you do. Run around it in circles. It doesn't and that dog will not take a step. Wow. And, you know, his level, his, his level of commitment is on a whole different level yeah. with that dog. I mean, I think my wife might have gotten rid of me if I'd have done that. <laughs> because, I mean, you're talking about every day hours i mean every other day hours and 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 traveling all over the country or at least up in pennsylvania back down north carolina back out to ohio whatever it is because you got to make get points and you got to enter these field trials so yeah so uh um i've done a couple of them and uh they're fun i i i i I, um i have people that i train their dogs for the trials i get them steady and usually somebody else will run those dogs for them right um if they're real serious but a, a person that consistently runs in field trials is doing a little bit different thing than hunting out here on a preserve right it's a different game. Totally. Yeah. That dog was not going to be allowed to chase that bird, so it's never going to pick up a bird. It's never going to get a bird in its mouth. Wow. It just stays still. Huh. And some of those dogs retire into preserve as a yeah, guide yeah, dog, yeah. and then they're allowed to move wow. along. But there's no moving. There's, and there's no exceptions. So it's an amazing thing to watch if you ever get a chance. It's a really cool thing to watch. Wow. Really, really high-end dogs. So now, will you do, do you do basic training outside of field work? Or is it all what you do leading to um, so yeah, birds? We, um, no, yeah. So environmental sound, especially with puppies, is go downtown. Go wherever you want to go. Yeah. I mean, but take your dog with you. <clears throat> go into Home Depot. Go into Lowe's. Go into Green Top where there's right. other dog smells. Um, go into wherever you want to go into uh, Stony Point where there's lots of dogs. Yeah. Take that dog everywhere. Then when you get out to the woods... Take your dog into short grass, into high grass, into the woods, into the water, into the jungle, into the green briar. Make that dog work as a puppy right. to, and go into all these different, feel these things on its feet. You know, watch a train go by. All that stuff is, has nothing to do with the field. Right. Uh, sorry, the bird field. 
Um, but in the end, that's where your dog is going to spend most of their time out, out of their kennel. Is you know if they're going to, if my dogs are out of their kennel, they're here. At Orpax packs running these fields. They're working with other dogs. When I work other dogs, they run with my pack. Um, in front of my UTV to get them to go with, to get them to run. My dogs hunt out in front of the UTV just like they would hunt out in front of my body. Okay. So we, I want other dogs to see that and feel that. I want them to, to know that that's what I was doing today before you came up. And I think the idea here is, you know, anything that you want your dog to do as a mature dog, a four, five, six-year-old dog when they're in their prime, start expecting that as early as is reasonable as a pup. So if I want my one-year-old manners and obedience, I don't want my three-year-old jumping on grandma with a fake hip. Well, then don't let your eight-week-old puppy jump on your two-year-old child. True. Stop it now. And people are like, oh, he's just a puppy. I don't want to break his spirit. All right. Well, he's going to break someone's hip later. Yeah, Yeah, just don't let the puppy do it. And when you take it around other dogs, the other dogs will correct it. And they're like, oh, your dog's being mean to mine. No, your puppy came up and was smelling my dog's butt. My dog didn't like it because that's not how (laughs) dogs really do say hello. That's an old wives tale. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not appropriate. So my dog didn't like it. And it growled and it nipped at your dog. And now your dog will never do it again as an eight-week-old pup. And it's true. The dog won't come up again. And it'll leave that dog alone. They're really good at correcting themselves in manners and obedience yeah. on the on the tie out. That's funny. Yeah. Huh. So you know, um, and stuff like that. Um, so. Um a, a puppy bite you know the, people tell me i just need i'm coming i have an eight week old puppy i said okay how's it going my biggest problem is my puppy's nine weeks old and it's still biting us well that's what they do as <laughs> yeah. puppies no i say you want that to stop <laughs> i said we'll do that within the first seven minutes yeah and then we'll move on right okay i can fix that that yeah. puppy won't bite again won't that's bite awesome. me now are you willing to step up and that's one of the frustrating things about being a dog trainer is especially if you've got a problem dog right. um people bring an aggressive dog aggressive or human aggressive dog and I'll deal with those dogs sometimes and I can fix it not every time but you know I'm not saying it from an ego perspective it's just like I you can you can become a leader for that dog that's what these dogs want they're looking to see they're they're constantly trying to figure out who's the pack leader right who's Who's the the alpha yep who's the leader right now today right here with these other five dogs and these three people who's the boss people and dogs being the same who's going to be the one that steps up and some of these dogs the ones that are problem no one stepped up and they were like hey i'm more than happy to take the job true and that's where you get the biter right so i can fix it real and, and sometimes it doesn't take that long but then the dog has to go back home it's a lot of commitment for the trainer or the owner. The owner has to step up and do exactly what you told him to do. And I told you, and it doesn't look pretty, to do this. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want everybody calling my cell phone and <laughs> yelling at me for being mean to biting dogs. Um, but I'm actually on the dog side because I don't want that dog to be put down or be rehomed or given True. back to the SPCA for the third time. Right. I want that dog to be fixed. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. I'm going to show you how to do it. Now step up and yeah. do it. Yeah. Because you get a lot of whining from the people and they start talking about their childhood. <laughs> oh. and I'm like, I'm not interested. Right. I was like, you want to fix this dog? I'm not a psychologist. And then they talk about the dog's childhood. Right. I was like, you know, we can psychoanalyze your dog. Fine. We can say that he got, you know, he got hit by a horse or he got did this. He did that. Or we can just fix it. Just fix the problem. Because you know what? The dog 
they don't they're not holding all that baggage no. they just they're stepping up because they're they just want to step up yeah so you can try to figure you, i tell people just don't try to figure out why your dog's mad right just fix it because yeah. the fix is always the same not always, but close. Right. I mean, in the same general area of fixing. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the type of situation where it really, it bums me out a lot because I can get a dog along and then I can just see the owner take over and I can just see the, um, uh, it's not apathy. It's how I just, I just don't think I can do it. They feel... I know, cause I've had this problem with no, my dogs. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel sorry for the dog, like treating them to that extent, but, and it's not even, you're not even treating them bad, but you're just, you're it's human emotions. Them. And yeah. It's, you, so we're placing our human emotions on the dog. Right. It feels sad. Right. It looks depressed. It looks like it's mad at me. It doesn't look like it's happy. Okay, these are all human things. There's no way to tell whether the dog is feeling that or not. Dog, again, is looking for two things. Who's the leader? Where's my food? Right. And probably where's the food is actually right behind where's the leader. Yeah. Because where the leader has to do with where's the food. True. Very so, true. you know, whether it's a feral dog or whether it's a domestic dog. Right. So, you know, either way, um, you know, you, you can't worry about that stuff right. because as soon as you start to say, I don't want to break my dog's spirit or I feel sorry for my dog or my dog looks depressed, you're lost. You're going to work much better with a dog that you fixed than having to see the other side. Yeah. And you know, the thing about it is people are going to disagree with me on how we get, get, get there. They're going to, uh, you know, we don't use a lot of positive reinforcement, no treats. Right. And I'm not saying those systems don't work. They do. My system works. Their system works. This is just the system I'm using. Right. If you want to use this system, use this system. I happen to like it. Um, I've looked at some of the other systems. I like it because it's efficient. I can get there quicker. Um, it's silent commands. I don't have to yell at my dog. I don't even have to put my hands on the dog. Right. All, whether, I'm talking whether it's a companion dog or a bird dog. Everything is done with silent commands. So hmm. I don't have to tell my dog to stay or to sit. It just does it when I stop. Right. So anyway, um, it, it doesn't really matter which system you pick. You've got to see it through. And that's the, that's the hard part is people, they give up. Consistency. Yeah. It's what is, what 100%. Is the, the phrase consistency is key. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to stick with and it. And repetitiveness and muscle motion for dogs. They need right. to know if I do this, this will happen. Yeah. And it has, it can't be every now and then. And people will ask you that. Well, how consistent do I need to be with that? Well, pretty much consistent as consistency requires <laughs> you to be 100% consistent. What is consistent. the sheer definition of the word? <laughs> yeah, I think we mean consistent means every time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could be 90% consistent if you want, but I'm looking for 100%. Right. To follow through. Wow. And, you know, the thing about it is, oh, I'm going to break my dog's spirit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to complain. I mean, you know, and the reason I'm harping on this is because I hear it all the time. Once you get through that and get over that garbage, you can take that dog anywhere. Right. That dog that was lunging, that dog that was trying to bite a dog. I'm going to Hardywood with that dog, and I'm standing in the beer line. Right. And I'm good. 
and I'm sitting over here, I can take that dog anywhere I want. So those dogs get to go places. They have more opportunities. They get to go with you. You don't have to be fearful of leaving the dog at home. That's right. Yeah. And if the dog's at home, it's okay too. Yeah. It's, it's learned to deal. So, you know, those dogs that have good manners and obedience, they get so much more opportunity to have fun. That's true. Yeah. They, and then everybody say, well, I don't want to make my dog feel bad. Don't you want your dog to be able to have fun? Right. You take him down to the river, not worried about him going attacking another dog. Right. That's what people want. A dog or a child or anything yeah. else. I love seeing whenever I go out to a, a, a restaurant or a bar um, yeah. amidst all this COVID stuff yeah. and even before. I mean, it yeah. was it was amazing being able to see dogs just sitting right there, yeah. right at the, the yeah. foot of the stool. Yeah. You know, and those are the good ones. And those are the ones you should be able to do that with. And, you know, yeah. you bring up the COVID thing with, uh, you know, the training in the midst of the pandemic. A lot of dogs have been adopted. Right. People have nothing to do. And they're adopting dogs. And I'm getting some of those. Wow. They're coming in from shelters. Right. And the dog, something's wrong with it. One way or another, it's biting, it, it jumps, it does this, it, da, 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 da. it doesn't matter. It's all the same. And then they bought, I said, well, what, what do you want out of that dog? I just want to be able to take the dog for a walk and it not pull me. Got it. Right. We can do that. Yeah. We can do that. You know, I power walk four miles. I'd like to eventually be able to jog. We can do that. Your dog will do that with you. You know, if you tell people the truth. Now, I, I want my dog to do X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, that's a stretch. You've got a five-year-old dog you adopted, and you want to make it act like a puppy. That's right. something different. And you don't know the history of that dog. You're, no. you, you know. But on of- the same time is, you know, let me look at that dog. You know, and, and not every, you know, honestly, I'm going to be lying to you. Not every dog, even as a puppy, that that comes to you is going to be a great bird dog. Right. It's just not the way it is. Why would you expect it to be? There's too many dogs out there. True. But for the most part, the dogs are going to do what the leader asks them to do. If they think the leader is going to have, there's going to be a consequence. Right. Okay. And that might be just as much of a click on a, on a leash. I mean, literally just a little click, a little quick, or it might be just like whatever it is, you know, or it might be a look and the dog just settles in. You know, now, you know, again, we're not, we're not belly kicking our dogs. We're not punching. We're not, we're not putting, again, we don't even put my hands on my dog, but I do use that command lead to make that dog know where its boundaries and limitations are. It knows this is where I want you to heal behind my knee. And if it doesn't, it gets a click, gets a click. Now, once that dog knows what it's supposed to do, I can give it a little more of a correction and then it'll settle back in. (laughs) So it's very fun. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's very enjoyable to watch dogs come along over time. I've been doing it just long enough where I'm seeing these dogs really get into their formative years and they're doing really well. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, uh, the point where you can intru- you've got families coming out let's say uh, uh, sisters and brothers who, who have dogs and they're coming out to, hunt, to get their dogs trained now they're going to be able to hunt their dogs together right. so now you got a family uh, you got a, a couple here and a couple here that happen to be related or not and they've each of them have a flusher and a pointer and they're going to hunt their dogs together That's and they're awesome. going to have four dogs in the field and they're going right. to hunt together and they're going to make it and they're going to and those dogs are you're going to be able to stop those dogs and we have a I'm thinking of a particular four four people that are here and young young couples that are here and they're right. doing it and they both have well they have flushers and, and a pointer and another and another flusher there and they I expect another pointer's coming but they will be able to they hunt all the three of those dogs together no problem cool so it's cool do you see similarities between 
like you have a five-year-old dog that somebody is trying to hunt versus somebody who you're trying to teach to hunt that is in their 40s or 50s doesn't even pick up hunting until their 40s and 50s and then like a young kid learning to hunt and a puppy learning to bird hunt. so this is interesting it's a if that makes sense no well and i'll come around it from a, a different angle because i think it's an interesting story is I had a gentleman out here that had swore to me. I, I have a four-year-old, five-year-old lab, four-year-old, four-year-old, five, four and a half, whatever it was, between four and five years old. I have no interest in hunting this dog, no interest. I just want this dog to start behaving a little better than he's behaving. Right. It's okay. And this guy was probably 60 years old, I'm just guessing. And comes out, and of course we have a lot of dog activity out here. And he's coming in. I've got dogs going out, coming in one hour after another. And he's watching the whole time. He's with me a couple months, and he's watching all these flushing dogs, labs, other dogs that are his right. same type of breed. And he, finally, he says, "You think my dog can do that?" <laughs> and I said, "What do you want?" He didn't come out here to have the dog Never. be a hunting dog. In fact, he was adamant. Okay. He's like, well, I mean, I guess I'd have to take shooting lessons. I said, I, mean, I can help you with Eric. I can hook you up with that person. Yeah. I'll talk, you know, I'll give you Kate's number. And uh, so, uh, and now he's working his dog with, he, this is back now. So he's, he's, he's actually in the field now already. Oh, wow. This is okay. when I first started. And so, uh, and he made the jump. And I don't know whether he went and took gun lessons or not, or shooting lessons or not, but he um, he got his dog in the field. I know another woman who did it with labs um, that just said, you know, I want this dog to hunt the young one, and the older one, the four-year-old, ended up being the the hunter. Huh. The younger one ended up being bird averse. Wow. Had no interest, no interest in guns, no interest in birds. That was the young dog. The older one is all about birds. She takes the dog out the Midwest. That's awesome. Hunts the dog out in Nebraska, I think, or Illinois. <laughs> Illinois. I don't know where she was. And, uh, you know, so it, you get all types like that. Yeah. I mean, and then I get like the young guy who uh, he's like, hey, I just felt, you know, I don't want to go into the whole situation. I have an eight-year-old Brittany. That's a field trial dog that I have now. Somebody must have passed or something happened. Right. Not my business. He's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so he goes, and then you get the dog, you can tell the dog knows everything it knows about. I mean, it knows right. birds. Yeah. And I mean, it's steady. And you're like, all you're doing there is you're just mentoring this guy along you're a little bit. You're teaching the owner. Yeah, you're just yeah. like, okay, you got a dog that you don't need much work with. Right. I mean, we're not going to teach this eight-year-old dog anything it doesn't already need to know. Right. And, you know, just try to hunt this dog. So, you know, wow. we could give some advice and walk around the fields with them and tell them how to use this controller. That's awesome. You know, so you t- it take, it, it's, it's all over the game, all right. over the spectrum, all over. Here at Orpax, before we wrap up, Neil, you guys also, now that you have your, your more of an event license thing, yeah. le, um, some of the companies that you have come out here, you can do like, I know it's a little bit difficult with COVID and everything else, but here in Virginia, we're in phase three, yeah. so you can have up to 250 people. Um, and you're in, in such a beautiful outdoor space. There's plenty of room here. What do you offer for events yeah so i mean first of all you know we do the clubhouse is restricted somewhat just when things were in phase one and two right we don't want people hanging out inside the clubhouse without masks on that's not something we want um there's a bathroom here but we don't need to the great thing about this is it is the definition of the social distancing activity right as a guide i don't want you to be six feet near me yeah you might shoot me true (laughs) very true i'd rather have you about 10 yards yeah that's 30 feet right okay if everybody's 30 feet from each other 
all's well. Yeah. All right. And you're not going to get it from my dogs, I don't think. So the idea is we're in open spaces. We're, uh, we're in open spaces. Um, you're you're naturally so you're naturally socially distancing 20 30 40 feet from each other when you're in the field walking especially when you flank out on a, on a on a point yeah um your dog's bringing birds we go back to the truck you've got your car i got my car it's it's a perfect situation it's outdoors very little evidence that it's spreading you know in a bad way outdoors on outdoor surfaces and we're not touching outdoors we're just in the woods right. in fields so we check people in on the internet they pay they come they'll come to the clubhouse my and whoever's checking them in will say we'll let you know when your field's ready right. it's, it's like you know going to the drive-thru yeah i mean you, you pull up you don't really even have to get out of your car if you didn't want to right and you might have to sign a release if you haven't been here before but we can make that happen on online too so you got you got that that's the process for having a a, a hunt totally in a safe yep so then if i wanted to you know have like a family reunion or yeah. even something small just yeah. to, you, you want know. it we just had a party here a birthday party and I'm thinking 30 people right. our, our barn holds 300 um, you know people need to follow the rules right. and it's not hard to do in a big barn like that if they're out on the on the hill here out over the pond you can see you can fit yeah. a couple hundred people here no problem and not get right. near them so you know now we want people to follow the rules that's important of course and and i think everybody does and i but the idea is it's not hard to do here right it's not a stretch right uh i'll tell this story i, I know you want to hear this but um my kids came to visit me when they were finally allowed uh before, this is before the restrictions they live in brooklyn and it's packed they live right near Prospect Park. Were uh, you like, don't come? Or? No, we're trying to get them to come. Oh, they're like, okay. they're like right. no, we're not. We'll kill you. <laughs> they're like, we're going to get the test right before we come, and we'll be right. they're going to kill you. And they're like, Dad, you know, you're in that risk group. I'm like, dude, I'm not even 60 yet. He goes, you're pushing it. You're real close. Uh -huh. This is my son. You know, this is what he'll say. And he's like, I don't know. You're, you're at risk. I don't want to be the one that, I don't, don't want to be the <laughs> asshole that brought it to Gucci. Right, of course. Yeah, so it's like, yes. okay, I get it. So he's like, uh, but they they came and uh, they they got tested the day before they came in and I'm sure they're going to kill me for this. They came and they get out of the car. They put their masks on and you know you know where we live. Yeah, out yeah, in yeah. Crozier. And you know we don't have any neighbors. Right. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm like okay guys you can take off the mask uh -huh. and they're like huh I'm like you know there's nobody else on an acre and a half. There's no neighbors right and um, um, my daughter-in-law goes for a run the next morning and she puts on her mask because she's used to running in Prospect of Park and they can't get further than six feet uh, when they run right you can't there's just the so many people there's so many people in yeah. the parks and she's running down my road which is two and a half miles you will not see another person <laughs> in fact awesome. if you do they're going to run the other way right so um they might drive over you going too fast but yeah. that's about it so and she's wow. like oh my god i can wait i don't have to wear my mask i can run <laughs> and i'm like yeah because this is an area we're rural right and if you you know of course we went into town and we wore our masks one time that we needed to um but no you know you don't you don't need to but um that was pretty funny actually i was watching them come in they, they hadn't been out of it has that has the pandemic hurt uh what you do here so yeah the march march uh was march was tough a lot of hunts canceled and all those people that canceled their hunts wanted to rebook in april right. well then we're we closed the end of april so we have to have birds so we're, you know, our game bird, our game bird growers that we get our birds from, that you have to put your last order in 
Oh, and everybody's like, well, yeah, we might know if we're going to even do 10 hunts wow. in April. And now we've got 40 hunts to put out. Right. We do the, you do the best you can. Yeah. And people understand. And it is what it is. So, uh, you know, you scramble. And usually at the end of every season, uh, we have a few leftover birds. And we'll do a big staff hunt. Right. The zero. Zero? Yeah, no, we had no staff hunt. <laughs> it's like we had, every bird was gone. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're on the staff hunt this year. Right. So season is getting ready to start this year. Yep. Um, gosh, here just very soon. Yeah, middle of September, we'll mm-hmm. be ramping up hard. Okay. Yeah, we'll start getting birds the next couple weeks and then uh, get our pens ready. Fields are done being mowed. Now we wait for our cover to come in the rest of the way and uh, wait for our frost to happen. Right. That's what we want as guides and as, as, as guys that run dogs you want cold right because the heat is just that's what kills your dogs yeah. I mean are you starting to get calls now yes okay people are booking hunts now in October okay a lot of mid-October hunts right so I don't know what they're thinking maybe they think you know they know September's hot right. so October's is when it really starts to yeah because I mean this year with with kids uh homeschooling for the most part virtual learning in a lot of places 80 probably 80 percent of richmond you know and all the suburbs are all virtual the first at least quarter um the first nine weeks um you know people aren't traveling so i've noticed this with because i've been camping a lot this summer a lot of camping and i've noticed that so many more people are getting outside and they're realizing, they're realizing, gosh, I don't have to go fly to have a good time. I can have yeah. fun with my family yeah. right here. No, my wife and I were laughing. We're like, we're either going to have like this record year, like right. bust record year, or it's yeah. going to be like, oh, geez. Right. We're closing down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that yeah, everybody's like, going to say, big, get out. Yeah. You know? I don't think it's, it's not going to be an in-between thing. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I hope the game bird growers are ready. I don't, you know, they got to be thinking the same thing. What are people going to be doing? Right. Thank you. To Neil from Orapax Hunting Preserve in Goochland, Virginia. Always great to get an education on dog training, upland bird hunting, and getting your kids involved. I think it's very important to get your kids involved in the outdoors, especially if that's something that you have an interest in, because you want to continue the tradition. Not as many kids are getting outside, and I think it's important to just get them out to experience it. Teach them what you love to do. Oh, one of the things I forgot to mention real quick, uh, because Orapax Hunting Preserve is a green top outfitter. So if you happen to be in Ashland, Virginia, and you shop at Green Top Hunting and Fishing, if you spend uh, $200, you get a discount on your hunt at Orapax Hunting Preserve. So take advantage of that if you're in the area. Okay, time for a feature I do on my radio show every afternoon. It's where we share some positivity. I call it, can I get an amen? This one is a little, well, I would call it setting goals. There's an 11-year-old girl from Canada. She wanted to set a new Guinness world record by solving 30 Rubik's Cubes while hula hooping. Now, not with both hands, but with one hand. My name is Sangvi Rathin, and today I would like to welcome you all to my Guinness world record attempt. The record I'm trying to break is called Most Rubik's Cubes Solved with One Hand While Hula Hooping. The previous record is 25 cubes, but my goal is to break that record. Past world record was 25. The current new Guinness World Record is 30. Now see, here's where I feel terrible because I still can't solve a Rubik's Cube. That's what you call setting goals. Can I get an amen? Amen!
Thank you for listening to The World According to G. I would love it if you subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a review. Tell us what you think. Until next time, I'll leave you with this. I feel that tacos are more important than pumpkin spice. There, I said it.